windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Another exciting episode of Sandos and the Sidekick. It is jam-packed. We'll talk to Lurie Tishy Volleyball, Kayla Massey. We'll also talk to Rick Cameron, longtime play-by-play voice of the Mercer Bears. We'll hear from head coach Randy Sanders, and we'll also break down basketball. Two games on Thursday, the women on the road to take on High Point, and the men playing host to Winthrop coming off the big win against St. Mary's. So, Full hour or so jam-packed for you, and we start with head coach Randy Sanders. Amazing. I went back and watched that game this morning just to see, as much as anything, some of their personnel. they got a different defensive coordinator. Both teams are different right now than we were at that time. But just to see some of the matchups, how we won down there, how we how we did some of the things we did with some of the things you see on film is, is amazing. That was obviously a, a good memory. You know, I'm sure Mercer's – angry i'm sure they want to come up here and seek revenge for not only last year but the last two years you know losing up here the way they did and overtime two years ago so it's going to be a challenge every game's a challenge especially the way that the last six games have gone just to keep persevering and keep fighting back it's not easy to just keep putting your pads on and go out there competing as hard as our guys are doing and i'm really proud for how hard they are competing firstly hello to you too Nice oh, yeah. Hey, buddy. Uh, by the way, Mike Gallagher is here. Probably forgot about that. Uh, I asked Coach Sanders that question basically centering around, can we go back to last year and kind of reminisce, you know, bringing you back to times that were, of course, in the win-loss column and chasing a championship and ultimately securing a share of the Southern Conference Championship against Mercer. Just better this than they are this year, regardless of if the team is more talented, regardless of if there's at every position more depth, regardless of anything you want to say about this year's team pre half or now at this like three quarters of the way point through the season bottom line is and we've mashed over it every single show it seems like for the last five or six weeks you're not getting the wins and it may be by a couple of plays but regardless they're just not coming so I wanted to reminisce a little bit and talk about last year and just have coach Sanders be like wow yeah that was just such a phenomenal game and we went down there if I remember right it was shorthanded a couple of people were left behind on that trip and it was kind of a statement from coach Sanders look if you're not 100% and we're going to go win without you they did go and win without the people that did not uh, go on that trip for whatever reason they were not there whether they were injured whether if I remember right it was an oversleeping situation that's where in the uh, Randy Sanders montage the you need more sleep? sleep Stay home. Without, yeah, stay home. We'll win without you. That, that's where that came from. So there were a lot of things going on surrounding that game, but ETSU was able to tramp. They came out three points ahead of Mercer again for the second time in as many years. But Coach Sanders, as you could hear, didn't really want to do a lot of reminiscing. He said, yeah, it was a great memory, but 
we have to look at this year, and I'm sure Mercer's mad, and they're looking to get revenge for the last couple of years. So I tried, Jay. I really did. But uh, Coach Sanders wants to stay the course, and I guess I shouldn't be completely surprised considering he has been week by week, do your job. Uh, an opportunity, uh, whatever it is, every game, every year, it's a new thing. It's a faceless opponent. You know, he gives you – he sticks with it, you know. And looking back at it, he didn't let the guys reminisce over wins either. True. You know, l- last season it was like, hey, it doesn't matter. Enjoy you know, tonight. He's not quite Bill Belichick. You know, we're on to whoever. Right. But he's pretty close to it. You know, it's like, all right, I don't care who the opponent is. We got them. We got them. And then same thing. They've been losing. So we got. So I, I like the fact that he's at least – he's, he's kind of stayed the course on this is how we're going to approach everything, every year, every game. You know, its own entity. He brings up the one point that I would bring up is that everybody had just circled on the calendar, which is why I think ETSU might have a better bounce back here next year because most people aren't going to circle ETSU and go, ah, we owe them from last year. We owe them from a year. Mercer really probably thanking the else for the past two, the overtime uh, loss, and that was a three-point win for ETSU. And that was really the the coming out party for Karan DeLentz because he was matched up as a freshman against Marquise Irving, mm. who was a junior and all-conference yep. performer, had him about five or six inches. And then DeLentz comes up, knocks the ball away at the last second. Mercer has to settle for the field goal. Then, of course, the Juwan Simpson call. And then last year, you know, they, they had to go with the third-string walk-on quarterback and, and uh, Harrison Fro- Frosty. Frosty, as we oh, now oh, know. Frosty. Uh, Sounds delicious. Yeah, but uh, – the big thing, I think, is both teams desperately need a win. ETSU, for obvious reasons, they don't want to go defeated the whole year. And for Mercer and Bobby Lamb, who's trying to uh, hang on to his job, I don't know that 500 is going to do it in league play, but I can assure you if he drops that one and he made all the coaching changes to get above 500 and he doesn't even do that, and even if he stayed at 500, that was the reason he made six coaching changes. So we'll talk to Rick Cameron about all that a little later. But still, I, I think this is a must-win for Bobby Lamb to keep his job, so there might be more on it for Coach Lamb. I think whoever runs the football, controls the clock, will have a better opportunity at winning that game. Would you do us the pleasure of reminiscing a bit to last year's contest since Coach Sanders didn't want to do a whole lot of that? Because those were the, good memories. That was a, yeah. a great game, a the, huge win the, on the road. The three things that stick out to me, one was the Quay Holmes one-handed grab for a touchdown. Great catch. I mean, ball just behind him. It just stuck uh, in his Caught big, like the tip of the football. If I oh, yeah. That. I mean, it just, you know, stuck it out. The uh, Tremont Farrell almost touchdown stuck out just because of that. But Artavia yeah. Smith, right, he had almost contemplated not playing anymore, not going on the road trip, just hanging up the cleats. He ends up going. Titus Tucker can't play that day. wasn't known until they got down there. Smith steps into a starting role, which he wasn't sure he was even going to play again, has two huge interceptions in that contest. And so everything kind of turned there. And a typical ETSU kind of just doing enough, as they had done all year, to hang on to a one-score victory. Good Is that good enough for Eminence? Yeah, that was okay. fantastic. I, I feel a lot more uh, ducky and bunny, very happy. After that, here's more on Coach Sanders. From an offensive standpoint, the biggest difference last year you had Austin Heron kind of scramble around, make a play or two, break a tackle in the pocket, come running out there and gain seven or eight yards, avoid a rush, and he hit Evan Wick one time for like a 30-something yard gain. You had Austin, who had played a lot of football, making a few plays. You had Kobe Kelly, who was just tremendously consistent, wasn't overly talented, but just really consistent in what he did. And you saw a team playing with confidence. That was the biggest difference. We still turn people loose up front. We still miss blocks on the perimeter. We still missed open receivers, things like that. But the team played with confidence, whereas right now, I don't know that we're playing with the amount of confidence we need to, but 
two and eight, how damn confident you're going to be? I, and that's as blunt as you can get it. The one thing, let me backtrack real quick. I forgot that uh, Richburg uh, had ten catches 10 for in that game, so I didn't want to yada yada that part. And there were some key third down conversions where Austin Herring got blitzed and said, I just threw it to a spot because I know that Braxton knew where to be. And two or three of those conversions were him throwing before Braxton made a break and just knowing that. So that combination to move the sticks also very important. Now, going back to that, he brought up great points. And him saying Austin breaking a tackle, and I almost forgot about that Evan Wick play, which sticks out of my head now. But there were a couple of those with Richburg and Wick and, and other things where Herrick was able to extend some plays, get a first down, throw for a first down, some of that, because that defense for Mercer – has always been talented with speed at the linebacker position. And so that will be another challenging part for ETSU. How do they handle the linebackers that really get downhill in the run game? You know, in a zone coverage, they really can get out in the flat. You know, they run very well laterally. Some things ETSU wants to do, we know they like to get, if Sailors is healthy, if not, then McHugh, they like to get them on the edge, like to do some things there. In between the tackles will be interesting because I think Quay Holmes will still be able to get his because this last three games for him, he has been incredible on what he's been able to do in between the tackles. And as we'll find out from Rick Hammer in just a second, there's some injuries along that front line as well for Mercer, so that should help Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors. What I remember from last year, just to go back, and that last answer from Coach Sanders was basically comparing Western Carolina's film to Mercer's film from last year, just the most recent gameplay this year, and then going back to one year ago when you did secure the Southern Conference Championship. Did you think that when you turned on those films that your theory about this team being more talented, better, deeper, whatever you have on this team that made you think it was going to be as successful um, as you did coming into the year, did that hold true? And he kind of skirted around that one, too. So me and Coach Sanders are not necessarily on the same page <laughs> this week. But Tyree Devison is what I remember from last year's game because I remember you and Matt Wilger marveling over the, wow, this kid's very young. We're going to have to see him for a lot of years. It's a bit like a Lim Ford this year for Chattanooga. Yeah, he was a freshman last year. And good point because Lim Ford, a freshman this year for Chattanooga. Both big guys, too, can run really hard. Hard to, hard to bring down. Yeah, and in Tyree Devison's case, he's 5'9", like 240 pounds. One more from Coach Sanders. They've had a quarterback change, but they also went to a guy that I think was like the offensive rookie of the conference or whatever two years ago. So it's not like the cupboard was bare for him. Losing your starting quarterback, Riddle, he was an outstanding player and had done a really good job for him. But... It's not like they've fallen upon really, really hard times there. They, they, they had a really capable backup who's come in and played well, giving it to that big running back, and he's making yards. Their offensive line's playing well, and they've got some receivers that are pretty dynamic outside. Receiver like Durton, who's obviously a playmaker, if you got a 98-yard kickoff return, an 88-yard kickoff return, I think, you know, he, he's, he's a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. So it makes it a whole lot easier to play quarterback when you got a 240-pound back that you can hand it to. and and some guys outside that can make plays. Durden also uh, related to Randy Sanders, if he left that out, we discovered. Really? Yeah. He's related to a lot of Durdens. He had to call some family members to figure out if he was or was not. Uh, and Or maybe maybe he has Durden. I can't remember. Maybe he wasn't. But he had to call Durden relatives to find out if they were uh, related or not. Maybe he wasn't. But anyways, uh, there was a funny story just sort of about that, knew about it, baseball background, Dave Durden. The thing I, I remember about Dave Durden coming on the scene a year ago was his size and ability to go get the football on jump balls. And you add in the speed factor because he does kick returns, he does punt returns. He was banged up a couple of games early in the season, not so much when I was watching for Mercer, but as I was watching other games to get prepared for other teams, conference games, Austin P stuff like that. He was banged up a little bit, not doing as much. I think he's back 
healthy and a major part of the offense now. So uh, there's a lot of receivers to throw to. Riley's dangerous. Devison can run the football. Kind of ask Rick Cameron what's been the issue. He's up uh, after this, so we can talk to him about that and figure out what is going on with this Mercer team. Looking at Durden specifically, he had a big start to the year. So did Tucker Cannon. But since Kalen Riley's come in, he's actually targeted Yasin McKee more. He's got two 100-yard games in the last three after Cannon had a uh, 250-yard first two weeks of the year. And Durden kind of picked up some of the slack in week three, having a 130-yard contest. But over the last three games since Riley's come in, it's been kind of Cannon and Durden in the backseat where McKee has stepped up. And you look at the stat line of Kalen Riley, and Riley's the one that Coach was mentioning winning the freshman of the year in 2017. And you'll hear with Rick Cameron, I am an avid supporter of Kalen Riley over Robert Riddle, uh, to a fault maybe even, because Rick Cameron quickly put me in my I place. mean, the only <laughs> thing I'm going to stop you short is asking for Riley's phone number at some point, because, I mean, you are such a fanboy at this point. Just typing that out and coming to me and telling me what you're going to ask Rick Cameron. Oh, I, yeah, I was very I, proud of it, and I'm still proud of it. Huge you look at Well, you look at the last three weeks, specifically the first two, because just the offense against Wofford was in bad shape against Mercer, but against Citadel and Sanford, 244, two scores and a touchdown, and then 250 the next week. And so since he's come in really full-time, and he even throw in the VMI game where he had to come in for Robert Riddle after that just gruesome ankle injury where his bone was sticking out of his leg. That was the VMI game, and everyone huddled around like it was – It was bad, but it was there bad. were shots of it where either I huddling, refuse to you look could at not, yes, not good. Uh, uh, people had warned me because, you know, I'm squeamish. So you look over the last four games since Riley's come in, four touchdowns, one interception. I mean, yeah, he's not lighting the world on fire, but, again, you look at Robert Riddle's year, and he's throwing ten interceptions. So I think I have a case here. Rick Cameron does not need to He, he <laughs> also and, – and, and just mentioning the targets, Riley's a threat to run. He's much more dual threat. Robert Riddle's a pocket guy. I mean, if, if push comes to shove, he, he can run, but he's not going to run. It's not a part of the game. No. Riley can do some read option. He will take off. He is very talented with the ball in his hands. So but it is I, rare. I think they've done a little bit different with the offense. It is rare this year, though. I mean, you look at the rushing yards, and he's got, uh, let's see, almost exactly. Well, how many minus sacks? Minus two. Too? Minus two. Well, he's only got, let's see, 18 carries in the four games. So he's not doing it a lot, even though he's 6'3", 231. So he could be if he chose to be a threat to do so. He's a load to bring down, but certainly haven't done it these last four games. Uh, but, again, another dimension that um, if he wants to do so, he can. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a Caitlin Riley guy. Yep. I know it. Uh, we'll see about that. So we'll talk to Rick Cameron uh, coming up after the break. Don't forget Kayla Massey also up on the show, and we'll break down both basketball games on Thursday. ETSU men hosting Winthrop, the women on the road at High Point. Back with more Santos and sidekick. Rick Cameron right after this time. Out to your word. From the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. New name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and a sidekick back with you here on this Wednesday. We're talking football, the game against the Mercer Bears. And a Wednesday, you know, we love to have 
the opposing team's play-by-play man, a guy I've known for a long time since our days dating back in the Atlantic Sun Conference, but Rick Cameron joins us. And, Rick, we appreciate you taking the time today to help us break down this contest coming up on Saturday. Absolutely, Jay. It's always great to be with you and the fine folks at East Tennessee State. Like you said, for years and years we've had some great uh, matchups, whether it be football, basketball, or anything else on the field or on the court, uh, but it's good to be with you this morning. Well, I appreciate it. And, of course, you get to work with head coach Bobby Lamb there for the Mercer Bears. The Buck fans uh, know him. Uh, if you're an old-school Buck fan, you remember as far back as when he played quarterback uh, for the Furman Paladins in the Dome. And, of course, he coached at Furman for a long time against ETSU, now been at Mercer for quite some time. But this is the first year, I think, since he's been there, he's had such a major turnover in staff. What's been the, the difference uh, in this year's team with the new staff, or is there anything different with the new staff? Well, like you said, uh, he brought in a new offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Legg, also a defensive coordinator, Coach Adams, uh, to kind of jumpstart things, get things going. I think looking back the last couple of years, Coach had kind of evaluated, we've been kind of stuck at 500 in SOCON play uh, in wins and losses, and so he brought the the new coordinators in, and uh, things went well. I think uh, most of the players adapted well to the new philosophy brought in by uh, both Coach Legg and Coach Adams, and Unfortunately, the season has not unfolded as they hoped it would. Uh, but uh, again, still hoping to keep things, keep the ship afloat. And I don't know there's a lot of changes. I, I know every team, Jay, has injuries. Uh, but it seems like Mercer has had their share of them this year, uh, whether it be at quarterback, at running back, at receiver, on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, I think the depth has certainly been tested as we've gone two and three deep at a lot of positions uh, the last three or four games. And uh, you. you- Mercer, and like you said, about 500. It's been that way three and four right now. Would need a win yep. against ETSU to get to that four and four. And ETSU lost three tight games in which uh, the Bears were able to figure out ways to win, and that being VMI. And then, of course, uh, beating Sanford in triple overtime and open up the year with a yep. big win. That was the biggest maybe of the year against Western Carolina. Yeah, we did. We opened up a good win against Western Carolina, and then a really strange thing happened in week two, Jay. The hurricane had forced Presbyterian College to postpone a game at Stetson, and like uh, over the weekend while we were playing Western Carolina behind the scenes, none of us knew the coaching staff were working to create a new game, and we actually did not find out until Monday morning of that week that we had a game on Saturday against Presbyterian College. So all of a sudden, we went from a first bye week to a second game, go to Presbyterian. Uh, the coaches had about seven days prepare. Some of us did not even have knowledge of the game until about five days out. So, you know, they got off to a good start with Western Carolina and then won that game at Presbyterian and then uh, played a very good Austin P team. Didn't realize at the time how good Austin P was, I don't think. And uh, that then we got into conference play against Furman the uh, next week. But, yeah, got off to a good start, 2-0. and And since then, uh, there's been as many downs as ups, unfortunately, has uh, it's led to this uh, four and six record thus far. Rick, Mike, let's talk. Let's talk shop. You got Tyree Devison, who is a big bruiser, about five yep. nine, two forty, if I read right. He's having yeah, a strong. That's... He's having a strong year, but it seems like the team overall is kind of struggling a bit to consistently have success on the ground. Second to last in the league in rushing. How are both things possible? Devison still being so strong, but the team yep. ranking where they are in rushing. Uh, very good question. Um, the uh, one thing that's happened is uh, Tyrae's backup, uh, uh, DeAndre Johnson, was injured about three or four weeks ago. So when you say Tyrae's getting the ball, yes, he is about 35, 38 times a game. Plus, uh, within the last three games, at some point, Mercer lost uh, 
the entire offensive starting line except for the center, Connor Krieger. Uh, we lost two veteran senior uh, linemen, and uh, there's a lot of young guys that have had to step up on the offensive line. And, uh, plus, we lose Robert Riddle uh, three or four games ago to a very gruesome leg injury, lost him for the season. Uh, Riley steps in at quarterback. And, you know, I think when you lose a very valuable, talented quarterback like Robert Riddle, uh, Kalen steps in, gives it his best shot. But I think it throws off the sink of the entire offense, whether it's the running game or the passing game. And uh, there's been times, especially two weeks ago in that Sanford game where it would be fourth and goal or in the overtime, Mercer had to get a first down. And everybody in the stadium knew Tyree was going to get the football, and he did, uh, got the one or two yards necessary. So uh, a lot of burden uh, has been placed on his shoulders to try to carry the load with really no backup and, and a makeshift offensive line. If you don't mind here, Rick, stick with me while I kind of go through the timeline of quarterbacks here for Mercer because I do want to talk about Kalen Riley. So you had John Russ, who was kind of the Austin Herring, yeah. as Jay Sandoz told me off air, and we looked back, and it really did resemble since Mercer brought football back. They had a four-year guy, John Russ, um, redshirt senior, I believe his senior year. So uh, there was the five years there, if I remember right. Austin Herring kind of did the same thing. Then he's gone. Kalen Riley steps in, wins freshman of the That's year. Right. Then Robert Riddle comes in in 2018, takes over, gets hurt. Riley comes yep. in, plays fantastic for four games, gets hurt. Harrison exactly. Frost then comes in to essentially finish the year. Even after 12 touchdowns to two interceptions last year, Kalen Riley does not get the starting job. I'm a big Kalen Riley guy, Rick, So, and you're clo much closer to the program than I am, but I guess I'm a little bitter from the outside looking in for Kalen, but I'm also kind of worried for ETSU because I think personally he's the better quarterback of the two. Talk me off the ledge if you can. Am I out of my uh, mind, or does he still possess that kind of talent that I believe he does? Kalen Riley is a great kid. Kalen has been uh, a role player, realizing, I'll be honest with you, when, when, as you say, that was the order. Riddle goes down hurt with a broken collarbone last year. Riley goes down hurt. Frosty steps in to finish the season. So we open camp this this year, and it's open game uh, as far as the best quarterback to start. And just have to be honest with you, Robert Riddle uh, can do super things. He he is a tremendous quarterback, and he honestly earned the starting nod. Coach Lamb was talking preseason that Robert can play at the next level, he thinks. Wow. Uh, Riley, he, he was a good quarterback, but uh, Riddle uh, can do many magical things. Now, he got off to a shaky start this season well I, I take that back he got off to a great start he had four touchdown passes both games one game two but along the way the first three or four games all of a sudden the pick sixes came along he had like nine interceptions and four pick sixes early on before he got injured but still uh i think even kalen i interviewed kalen uh right before the first game i think even kalen would tell you that he did not have a problem with robert riddle getting the starting nod uh, robert's just a a notch better at running uh, Coach Lamb's offense. Uh, and again, of course, he goes down again with that horrible uh, leg injury early in the season. But Riley's a great kid, a great athlete, and we're fortunate to have him in the program. Tell you how Coach Lamb uh, put it in perspective. He said that Kalen was an insurance package. And when Riddle went down, he had to cash his insurance package and put him to work. And, and Kalen has done a good job. He had a bad game last week, as did the entire offense. But uh, Truth be known, I love Kalen Riley, but Robert Riddle, I think day in and day out, gives Mercer a better chance to win football games. 
Rick, let's move back to uh, Jay with you again here on Santos in the second. Yeah, talking to Rick okay. Cameron, play-by-play man for the Mercer Bears. Let's move to defense a little bit because I know there's been some injury on the offense. They've been struggling, but there's still a lot of recognizable names here on the defensive side of things that make me cringe a little bit knowing that the Bucks' offense, which has struggled at times, will have to go up against a solid defensive unit for the Mercer Bears. Yeah, now, Dorian Kithcart, the nose tackle, has been out the last two weeks. I don't know if Dorian will be back or not. And also, a real uh, key loss was Will Conaway, a great tackler. He has been out the last two games as well. I'm waiting to find out myself the next day or two if Conaway will be back. But Sidney Otiwu had a phenomenal game against Sanford two weeks ago. He broke the individual game record with 21 tackles uh, in that game. And ironically, that was a three-overtime game. He uh, got assessed a targeting call and did not play the second and third overtimes, or he may have had 25 tackles that day. So, Tiwa was playing outstanding. Uh, you've got Eric Jackson, strong safety, who is a veteran on the team, one of the better players at strong safety. Uh, so, the defense has played well. Uh, Malik Fleming is a great player. Uh, the corners have been young for most of the year. Harrison Poole was injured early. He's probably the best corner. He's back now. Uh, Coffee at the other corner has stepped up playing real well. But probably the uh, the linebackers, Jay, uh, if you're going to say what group is best among this defense between the front, the corners, and the safeties, the linebackers probably are Mercer's strength. Well, there's no doubt if, I, if I'm if i staring at the defense and I recognize the names of Tuwu, now I didn't know uh, Conaway was, was going to be out, but looking at those two guys. And then Eric Jackson's a guy that I think has created some problems yeah. at, at a safety position uh, for ETSU in the past. So we'll see how that goes in yeah. this contest. He's a, constant, he's a steady player. He's constant. Oh, no, he's, he's fun to watch, too. When you turn on the tape, he just jumps on, yeah. uh, jumps out at you. The one question I, I would ask, because ETSU, clearly the strength is, is running the football, uh, and with Kithcart being out, how is that defensive line at stopping the run, or how do you assess their progress as part in the season? Well, to be honest with you, it's not been good. Uh, the opposing teams have been able to run the ball. Uh, Walford, obviously, is a great running team. They did last week, and that's been a problem. Uh, why the record is what it is, we've had to try to outscore people, and uh, we've given up way too many points, and uh, that's been a problem. Uh, I think they have some great individual players, but as a unit, have not getting been getting enough shutdown stops. If you look at the stats, uh, too many games we look back and see where the other team had 400, 450, 500 yards of offense, and uh, you just can't do that week in and out and win football games. So, uh, again, the, there's some individual really good defensive players there, but with the shuffling around uh, with, with Kithcart and Conaway and some of these others, it's created uh, some issues that, you know, it's just not been consistent enough on defense. Rick, I've got a conspiracy theory. Last one for me. Follow me if you can here. The 2017 and 2018 games were each separated by three points. Each kicker okay. this year has missed three field goals, which is the exact amount of points, of course, a field goal is worth. Caleb Bowden <laughs> and Tyler Keltner are each exactly 13 for 16 this year. This game comes down to a field goal. Am I crazy? Well, you, you, I know. I think you're probably right on. And ironically, you know how kickers are kind of like golfers on the 18th green. You know, you you know, you don't know if the putt's going to go in or not. But Caleb Dowden, uh, two games ago, was one of only two kickers in the country in FCS that had not missed an extra point or a field goal. Well, he missed a field goal that day. Comes back uh, the next game, misses an extra point, and then misses another field goal with a chance to get us uh, a win before we go to the OTs against Sanford. 
and Abadari comes back and nails a field goal in the third overtime to get the win. So, uh, yeah, I think it could very much, I expect, and I may be crazy, but I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, uh, unlikely this year in the SOCON where we've seen some outlandish scores, 50 and 60. I think this might be a 17-14 game. Well, Rick, at least we'll be crazy together on Saturday. I could be crazy and it may have okay. nothing to do with football, to be fair. <laughs> hey, I've been called crazy more ways than one of the years <laughs> I've done this. Well, and, 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 Rick, I totally agree with you. ETSU, uh, uh, very good defensively. It's a bread and butter. They, they've got to win a game. It's like 20-17, 17-14. And if, if teams do put 30-40 on the board, it's been very difficult for ETSU's offense to match that. And, again, with Mercer, some of the woes you're talking about uh, that has happened, I mean, if – you know, and the strength I still think has been Mercer's defense uh, when the offense hasn't turned over the football. And I think people forget that because yeah. Mercer's minus 11 in turnovers. You look at all that, yeah. it yeah. puts the defense in a bad spot. It's very easy to say, well, the defense is getting destroyed. Well, my goodness, if the other team gets to start on the, you know, and there's been pick oh. sixes already, the defense wasn't even out there for. But if the offense yeah. gets to start already in the plus side of the field, it's just almost impossible to make stop after stop. Yeah, just like last week, uh, first half when it was still up in the air, who's going to take control early on to get the momentum? And Kalen's back to pass, drops the football, 35-yard line. They pick it up. Well, boom, there you are in another hole, and you're behind going in at intermission, and there was just never able to recover. And another thing, area for Mercer, the first half of the season, our punting game was horrible. We were last in the league, averaging about 30 yards a punt. But what we didn't realize is that Grant Gopal, the punter, had been playing injured, uh, finally, he's 100% healthy, and the last two weeks, he's been averaging about 42, 45 yards a punt, which, as we all know, is a huge difference than averaging 30 yards a punt when you're matching punt for punt. Well, listen, we could talk to you all day, Rick, uh, football and stuff, but I hope you have a safe travel up here, and, of course, we'll catch up with you during basketball season, but I look forward yeah. to seeing you in Green Stadium Saturday, my friend. It, it's going to be a quick night, Jay. I've got a home basketball game against Old Dunk City, Florida Gulf Coast. So I won't be leaving. Uh, making, I won't be done here in Macon about eleven o'clock Friday night. So I'll need a lot of cups of coffee before I see you on Saturday. Oh my goodness! And that's a that's a six hour drive uh, that I've made yeah. many a times, uh, either yeah. through the night or early morning because my wife went to law school uh, down at Mercer. So uh, I've right. done that trip at uh, leave at two in the morning to get there, and or just drive through the middle of the night. So I uh, I don't envy that, my friend. Luckily, I don't have to do that no more. All right, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday, guys. All right, Rick, appreciate it. More Santa Sidekick right for this on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Kick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. My name is Mike Gallagher. Jay Sanders steps aside for a moment. This segment brought to you by Kayla Massey, ETSU Volleyball. She was on the show about oh, a month or so ago. We got a lot of catching up to do, Kayla, but really from the time that you joined us first to now, not a lot has changed on the court. The team is still rolling. You're still leading them to victory after victory, some in straights, some in four. You haven't mm-hmm. lost a four-setter all year, and those five-setters, many of those going your way as well. Just this past weekend, extended your winning streak to 
through five consecutive games. UNCG, Mercer, Chattanooga, Citadel, and Wofford. And now you have a big weekend weekend coming up. Education Day against Western Carolina. That is at 6 p.m. tonight. Of course, this being Wednesday when we come to you on the show. Sanford on Saturday. And it looks like if things hold, that could be for the outright Southern Conference Championship in yes. the <laughs> one seed. And I can see it kind of light up when you <laughs> mention that game and we talk about that. Let's save conversation on that. Firstly, how has the last month been? Certainly seems like it's been smooth sailing for the box. Yeah, it's been great. Um, we're all sort of battling some different injuries and stuff, but everyone's been really good. Um, we've all been working hard and playing through it. Um, so it's been tough, but we know what we need to do, and it's worth it because we are where we are. So we know what we have to do. I think I count. 15 of the last 16 have been wins. The only one that was not was Furman, and that was kind of a strange night because Olivia Cunningham didn't start the game, didn't play the first set, then comes in, uh, amasses 18 kills and 16 digs in just mm -hmm. four sets. Had a really good night. You had a good night as well with nine kills, five digs, did a little bit of everything as you do. But you take that out, and you've won your last 15 what's been the key to continuing to roll like you have you mentioned the injuries and making sure that you're a hundred percent at game time I'm sure is big how do you do that when you do have a coach in Badavia Jenkins <laughs> that I'm sure is trying to push you in practice to get you to be better right um we focus a lot on um the things that we can control so our aggressive serves and then our serve receive um Emily also does a tremendous job at um setting each hitter and moving the ball around really well um, so even if, you know, the outside is hurt, she's going to the other players as just as much. So I think distributing the ball all over the court um, really helps us, and it helps us with the other team keeping them on their toes. But definitely our aggressive serving has made a huge difference for us. I'm going to go between the lines, some volleyball questions here. So <laughs> you've worked with Alyssa Cavarda. You worked with uh, even Lexi Libs. And before that, there were a couple of other setters as well. This year, Emily Arnold. What does she do that's different or similar that makes her have so much success? Now above 10 assists per set could be in line for a freshman of the year honor, someone mm -hmm. you work very closely with, obviously. Yeah. Um, she... She just listens to the coaches. If Gio or coach or someone tells her to do something, she does it. Um, and I think she she is a freshman, so she's still learning. But she's had such a great presence on the court that most freshmen don't have, especially as a setter who's, you know, they're the quarterback of the team, so they're running the whole offense. Um, I think she, in comparison with Cavarda, she really does use the middles a lot. Um, she likes to run the slides. She has that fast tempo, and she's able to push the ball all the way out to the pins. Um, so that's a huge difference maker, too. You look at her stats this year, and she also is able to do a little bit of what you do offensively, too. I think she has 79 kills. Is it 63 kills? Sorry. So she's having a very good year in attack as well. Seems like her timing is really good. Uh, have you been coaching her at all on how to attack? You're hitting 344 this year, which right now, if the season were to end today, second in program history. So obviously, you know a bit about attack, and it's something that all the Bucks up front are doing well, including Arnold. Yeah. Um, we love when she um, attacks. We think it's awesome. Um, we always encourage her to do it more and more. And she knows when to do it. She knows in transition usually is when the defensive players are backing up. So she'll dump one in. Um, she's just really smart. And she's getting more out of her range by throwing them deep, going behind. So she's doing a great job. Not only second in school history and hitting percentage yourself right now, if the season were to end today at 344, you're also just three block assists short of moving into third in program history in that category and fourth 
in all-time total blocks. Those <laughs> numbers are pretty impressive, so it obviously shows in hitting percentage you can do it on the offensive side, at the net defensively as well. Uh, how have you been able to stay so well-rounded? Working on each part of your game, I imagine, just comes with day-to-day -day hard mm -hmm. work and continuing to hone those parts uh, of your uh, time on the court. But it's got to be difficult to, while you're on a number of teams that you have been, amass those stats when there's so many solid players around you as well. Right. Um, I think, honestly, each year is much so much of a different focus for me. Like, being a freshman, I had to just focus on not messing up, like <laughs> being the only freshman or whatever. Um, and then the next year it was my blocks. The next year I was working more on my arm swing. So, like, I feel like now as a senior it's just all kind of coming together for me. And um, we worked a lot in the spring on specific things and blocking and then mostly on the box with our arm swing. So um, Coach Jenkins has done a great job at teaching, and I've learned so much. So that helped a lot too. You're a winner. Three <laughs> conference championships, regular season in 2016, postseason in 2017 regular season and then the first at-large bid in SOCON history in 2018. What's allowed you and these teams to have such consistent success? It seems like a success that has, and you give a lot of credit to your coaches, very humble, very selfless, <laughs> love that, but you've gone through two coaches now with Lindsey Devine and now Coach Jenkins. It seems like that success has kind of transcended the coaching position. Mm -hmm. I think just we all get along so well. Um, the recruits, every time a recruit comes in, we just know if they're going to mesh or not. And I think the chemistry with the team makes such a difference especially on the court because we trust each other and we know each other so well we know how to encourage each other um we're also so competitive so like that competitive nature we want to win we want to be first we want to be the first in this um so I think and that's gone throughout all four years that I've been at ETSU um we know how to push each other we're aggressive so I mean that's how you win games. Is that about personality? Like, I don't imagine it's easy to just walk in and say, okay, we're going to have chemistry. Like, you can't just yeah. say it and speak it into existence. It has to be something that truly is in the locker room and everyone right. comes together around, but it's not something you can force. Am I right? Right. Um, we've always been, I mean, even the seniors last year, those are my best friends still. We talk every day. It's just wanting to be together every second of every day off the court, which I think, I mean, not I cannot say that most teams have that where, you know, everyone wants to be together. So, I mean, it's really special. been very blessed. How do you feel that this team and the winning teams that you had in the last three years are either similar or different? Obviously, you've had tons of team success and individual success with the previous three. Now with this fourth, you hope to as the season really reaches its uh, culmination here with the end of the regular season coming this weekend, the postseason after that, and hopefully the NCAA tournament once again. Um, similarities, differences, what you can take from those three previous teams to apply to this time of year? Um differences for sure is going to be the ages um I don't think we've ever had so many freshmen you know start um and be su make such an impact on the court um our outsides Betty um and low Lauren um we have always had strong outsides last year was AJ and Leah um I think that carries over to this season um Lauren especially has like just grown into her position Betty stayed consistent throughout the season so that makes a huge difference um yeah, I would just say all the way around. The only big difference would be the age, which I mean they've all filled their they've done they've done great being freshmen. Looking at this week now and weekend, you've got Western Carolina and this was a team that going into your last matchup with them, I believe at that time they were still undefeated at six and zero. It was yes. an incredible <laughs> couple of days. You had a six and zero record as the Bucks going into two road matches against 
six and zero Western Carolina, and then six and zero Sanford. And of course, all ETSU did sweep Western Carolina three sets to none, and then three sets to two over the Bulldogs two days later. What do you remember about Western Carolina? What did the team do so well that day that you need to do tonight as well? Um, I think just starting off from the beginning and pouncing on them. Coach always talks about starting strong. We have to get the first five points. Um, being super aggressive at the net and then just our serves keeping them out of system so they can't run their middles and we have we have time to move on the block Sanford this weekend is a team that you've got kind of a history with now they, they kind of came from nowhere a couple of <laughs> years ago and then last year uh, beat you in the Southern Conference championship game went out to I think it was USC or somewhere on the west coast mm -hmm. where they had a chance to play in their uh, tournament game of course the Bucks getting the at-large bid went to the NCAAs as well I know the politically correct answer is not thinking about that. This is a whole new year. You beat them in five sets. Very competitive match. Expecting a very competitive one this Saturday. Mm -hmm. That I think regardless of the results this weekend, or this week, I should say, tonight, and then going forward for Sanford going into Saturday, that will be for, in some measure, the Southern Conference Championship. Right. Even with Because you beat Sanford once already, even if Sanford let's say, wins and you lose, you'd still have a share of a the chance. title if you beat Stanford yeah. and the number one C because you already beat him once. And then if you beat him Saturday, it would be two uh, matches to none in your favor. Regardless, point being, I'm getting bogged down in the details here. <laughs> uh, do you draw on last year as motivation at all going into a match like Saturday with a Southern Conference championship in the regular season, maybe on the line, and going forward to the postseason where you very well could meet them again in the final? Yes, every day. Um, I think that's such a, especially for the returners, the few that we had, um, that's such a motivation for us because um, they did beat us in four last year. So, I mean, that was like not an embarrassment, but it stung, you know. And then um, in five, the last time we got them, um, they're always just so tough to play. I feel like they are the team that plays most similar to us. Um, just distributing the ball all over the court. They have tough serves. They have great serve receive. Um so, yeah, always using that. And then, you know, hopefully we'll see them in the conference tournament. So hopefully um, we're just trying to get our peak at, towards the end of the season. So it'll be a better game. All right, I'm going to unleash this stat on you. <laughs> I went back right before we came on air here today and took a look at the winningest classes, quote unquote, and you're kind of a one-woman class yourself yes. as the only senior for the box in ETSU volleyball history. Going into this year, the winningest would have been in terms of actual wins, the 1990 through 93 teams. So the class that graduated in 1993 went 90 and 47. With your last win, Caleb Assey, from 2016 <laughs> to 2019, you became, as a one-woman class, the winningest class in ETSU history. 91 wins to 31 losses, going 22 and 8 your first year, 19 and 12 in 2017. 28 and 7 last year now 22 and 4 this year just letting that sink in what does that mean to you I mean there's been so many women that have come and gone from this program you're at the top of the list in terms of winningest players for ETSU I think that's insane um it just shows like I've put so much effort you know and hard work into um ETSU as well as you know all my past teammates um it's just such an honor Especially that, you know, I'm the only one left, so it's just really cool. I love that. No question. It's, it's really awesome. And you've still got two matches to go this week, plus mm -hmm. the postseason, then hopefully plus an NCAA yes. postseason. So there's a lot of time still to go, and you've already done that, which is crazy to think considering you still have some matches left. Okay, 
I need a message for the fans here because we need them tonight. We need them against Sanford. Got to create a great atmosphere in Brooks Gym for the two biggest matches of the year, mm-hmm. ETSU Volleyball against Western Carolina tonight and then Sanford on Saturday at 8 o'clock. What must you tell the fans to make sure that they come out? Just come out and be rowdy because we feed off the fans' energies. We love it. So the energy for sure. Make sure you're there. It's tonight, ETSU and the Catamounts, 6 o'clock. So be there early, be there, and be loud. And then Saturday, 8 o'clock is when it's the Bucks and Bulldogs for the Southern Conference Championship, regardless of what happens going into that night. So you can bank on that one. If you can't make it tonight, make sure that you're there Saturday. Kayla, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Kayla Massey, ETSU Volleyball here at Santos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We are back with more after this. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Sandos and a sidekick back with you. Jay Sandos, the dance, and Mike Gallagher as we preview basketball. ETSU men's team taking on Winthrop. The women on the road at High Point. Both teams so far riding high. I think the women's team clearly the loss against Tennessee looking a little better since the Lady Vols went and dominated Notre Dame uh, top 15 That was an team. eye-popper, no doubt. Oh, and, and then to see some of the stats from that game, and I know that Kayla Green is out for the season, They and Tennessee did it without her on the floor. Even more impressive. But ETSU, a big win on the road at Liberty. For the men's squad, you were there dominating performance against UT Martin. And now, for the men, you look at Winthrop. They're going to come in and off a huge, huge win at not just a mid-major ranked team, but a top 20 team, 18th to be exact, St. Mary's squad in the AP and coaches poll. So they were nationally ranked, getting a lot of recognition. West Coast Conference, clearly, it's a two-team race every year. It's Gonzaga, St. Mary's. St. Mary's about every third year puts together a solid squad. But what was interesting was the fact that Winthrop played the night before, had a tough loss at Fresno State, and just turned around and played again and then picked up a win. It's an aggressive early season schedule for Winthrop. You lose by three to Fresno State, who were a 21 team last year. You mentioned the day before. Then it's about a three-hour bus ride to go to St. Mary's and get the victory after what was a buzzer beater of a loss. Mustafa Lawrence, a three with one second left. Also, it was Paul George night there, by the way. Paul George mm-hmm. front row. Mustafa Lawrence hits that three uh, to beat Winthrop for Fresno State. That had to feel pretty good for Lawrence. Obviously, not so much for Winthrop, but they bounce back pretty easily. The other team they've had in their schedule, aside from Fresno State and St. Mary's, is Hartford, who the last couple of years have been a contender in America East. I know it's not exactly one of the power mid-major conferences, but 10-plus uh, wins in those well, conferences. Uh, all on the road. I mean, you got to yeah, fly to Hartford, right, Connecticut. you got to fly to Hartford. Yep. They came home for a day or two and then flew for a California swing to play two games in two days, and then are going to bust down a Freedom Hall in uh, John City. The old old-school back-to-back. Yeah, the, uh, you don't see that often in college basketball, and especially – getting your first true road win versus a ranked team in program history. I mean, think about that. After 
24 hours earlier getting basically walked off by Mustafa Lawrence. But uh, they're projected third in the preseason Big South poll or Winthrop behind Radford and Gardner-Webb. Radford shared the regular season title last year. Gardner-Webb got the postseason crown. What stood out to me, 38-2 to for Winthrop in that game against St. Mary's in bench points. They've got some studs that you haven't heard of, and then they've got one big guy back. Yeah, and I think that's the, the thing to look out for with Winthrop is the scoring punch. I thought they would struggle, and I talked to head coach Steve Forbes, maybe a, actually, no, I'm sorry, I talked to Jason Shea just about that, and they were like, you know, Winthrop, it's going to be interesting to see. And this is before the, the West Coast swing, right after they beat Hartford, and said, you know, they lost a couple of, of big guns. They lost Nick Smith, who scored 26 against ETSU last year, 9 of 12 from the floor, 7 of 8 from the line, and then they also uh, lost Bjorn Broman, who had 11 points and five assists, who was the point guard of that team. So that they lost two key components that saw ETSU there last year have to come from behind to win. So he thought it would take maybe a while for everything to get going. It clearly has not. No, I mean, they got Josh Ferguson back. He's kind of their horse. Uh, solid, not spectacular, I'd say. Wants to be a shooter and has wanted to be the last couple of years, which is strange because the year before, his sophomore season, he shot 61% from the floor. Then he started to move outside, and his percentages dropped to like 43 or 44% from the floor. Again, strange, I think, that he wants to do that considering his success as just kind of an inside-the-perimeter type guy. But that's who he is now. The guys that I'm surprised about, Chandler Valdrin. Um, they're guys you just haven't heard of. He's a transfer from Division II Walsh. Uh, he led the Eagles with 19 against St. Mary's, half of their bench total. He also, in his 2017-18 season at Walsh, again, it's D2, but I'd say this stat holds true across all divisions, both literally and figuratively, led the nation in triple doubles regardless of division in 2017-18. He can do a little bit of everything, so there's that threat. DJ Burns is the other guy that's been one of their scorers. Uh, he had 12 off the bench and that went over St. Mary's. 28 points in 38 minutes this year. The thing you have to watch out with him is fouls because he's got eight fouls in those first three games. If he can stay out of foul trouble and play more than 12 minutes a game, he's averaging nine points per game over those first three. That's going to be an issue for ETSU. Pick up on offense if you like. I really think this team defensively has improved. Last year they allowed 84 per game or something like that. Sorry, it was 78 per game. They scored 84 per game. They're averaging 64 per points per game against this year. So defense has taken huge strides and against really top-level competition. Well, and here's the, the hard matchup that Winthrop likes to do. They run about four guys that are going to be between 6'4 and 6'5. And four guards are all interchangeable. And then they'll have a post player, give or take. And the post player traditionally isn't a post player. I mean, again, you mentioned uh, Valdron. He's 6'7, 200. He's our post guy. You know, uh, also run, what was it? I think it was 6'8, 210. Again, post guy. That's not big. So they, the, the question is can ETSU match up against them, you know, depending on the, the type of team? Now, Coach Forbes has really did a masterful job this year of, I think, making the roster so it is so versatile and yes. can match up against anything. Agreed. But in the same token, I think you start the game doing with what you do and see if they can guard you. And we'll see if ETSU can take advantage of that and, and sort of how the chess match goes. But to me, that's the biggest thing. Can Winthrop guard ETSU because of the size, disadvantage stuff, especially how the Bucks want to play down in the post? And on the flip side, can ETSU play all the guys that are running around the perimeter? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that 
Coach Forbes and company are going to kind of do what they want to do. I think they're going to always try and control the tempo. He said as much to me pregame against UT Martin when I mentioned that Martin is a team that you know has the three big players and seems like they want to get out on the run and take a lot of shots early in the shot clock. Not by any means, uh, you know, like the Grinnell College that'll take everything within you know seven or eight seconds on the shot clock, starting and score like 160 points. But they do want to get up and down. They like to control pace. And he said we're just going to do what we do. You know, offensively. We're going to diversify kind of our attack. You know, we're going to run some of the motion, but we're going to do some more traditional stuff as well. Then defensively, we're going to try and lock down and get them out of their comfort zone. Uh, I think the two big things defensively for the Bucks, and I'm shocked, quite frankly, that Winthrop has been able to pull off two pretty good wins so far this year, making just 45% of their free throws. I mean, that to me is a horrific it'll, it'll, it'll catch up well, with something. Well, exactly, and that's what I'm worried about is that it catches up with Winthrop um, – this week either in the bad for them which would be good for the Bucks, but they're also not going to shoot 45 percent the entire year so that number's bound to come up I'm hoping it doesn't come up on Thursday against DTSU 45 percent is horrific and you don't often see that from a team that pulls an upset like they did on Sunday the other thing if the threes are going down for Winthrop they tried 62 combined in their first two games 62 three-pointers in their first two games they haven't been shooting an incredibly high percentage but again if they're going to take that many they're going to be hot a couple of nights out of the year at the least and so again I'm hoping that Thursday isn't one of those free throws and three-pointers and again their defense I've been impressed with can that hold up against a diversified ETSU offensive team? and, and here's a, where they've gotten better rebounding last year Bucks were plus 14 and they had 12 second chance points Winthrop had zero second-chance points. On the offensive glass, it was 17-3 in favor of ETSU. So far this year, Winthrop is out-rebounding their opponents 110-106, to and they have more offensive rebounds by 14, 37-23. So that is an area they knew they were struggling in. And again, the style of play they get now, long shots, long rebounds. Sometimes it's not necessarily positioning. You know, can you read the possibility where the ball is going to come off the rim, right? There's certain things that you can do there. So I don't, I'm curious to see – because I couldn't watch this. I'm so mad about that. The West Coast Conference did a great job of streaming the game for free, Winthrop versus St. Mary's, but it's not on demand. You can't go back and watch it. So not able to, to, to go back and watch that just to see some of the rebounding things, and that's something I would look for. So I think that might be uh, the third, you know, I think. Which, rebounding three which free throws. Team, yeah, which teams, which teams' defensive plan, you know, ETSU's bigs versus, you know, can they guard the smalls there? I think free throws is number two, and I think rebounding is number three, and I think those are the three things to – to pay attention to in tomorrow's game in Freedom Hall. And keep an eye on Valdron, Burns Jr., and Ferguson. Again, that defense, can it really just allow 64 points per game and be improved by 15 points per game against a strong level of competition? And I think the Bucks are right there with a St. Mary's, with a Hartford, with a Fresno State. I don't think there's any question in my mind, at least. No, you're talking about the top mid-major programs over the last 20 years. I think it's very easily uh, you're throwing those teams together. Nobody would really argue with you a whole lot. Now, turn our attention a little bit because uh, head coach Brittany Zell and her squad will be on the road at High Point. And High Point 0-2 so far. They lost uh, at Duke and then a home game against College of Charleston, a very good CAA team on the women's side. And ETSU, They're actually not. See, that's the thing. Oh, that's it's a, Charleston that's a not? horrific loss for them. Now, oh, the, man. The Duke game you in expect. The, in the, uh, again, they've been out of Southern Conference for a while, but they were always good in the Southern Conference. So I, that's just me assuming college Charleston women would still be good, but they are not. Okay, yeah, the Duke game you expect them to lose, and that's just like, okay, sure. whatever, that's going to happen. Uh, I, I don't think it was nearly as good of an effort as ETSU put up against Tennessee, so that's already won in the plus column for ETSU. College of Charleston hasn't won double-digit games overall in three years. So they've oh, been yeah, then they've been out of the league. For yeah, the last sure. three, yeah. And so for High Point, that one was a real, I think, a letdown game. 
um, I guess literally and figuratively, you come out of an atmosphere like Duke and a big name program and such, and um, you know the the Cameron uh, crazies. I'm not sure, quite honestly, if they're as solid on the women's side as they are on the men's side. But regardless, you have a legacy of Duke basketball that um, you know you're always going to be facing an uphill battle if you're a mid-major going there. But then to lose the College of Charleston, and granted it wasn't overtime, but they gave away a big lead in the fourth. I think it was a 13-point game entering the fourth and high point blew the lead lost in overtime got outscored 11 to 2 in overtime that's a bad loss but you could expect some early struggles at least early perhaps year long from high point regardless of how good of a team they've been and they have been very good I think it's 19 years in a row now they've been 500 or above in their conference it's like nine of the last 10 years that they have been overall above 500 um, and are consistently a conference championship contender Uh, you lost Maya Grimes Bree Davis, Emma Bockrath, Shea Morgan, Lindsey Edwards, Bree Gibson, and Michaela Johnson. Bockrath, Morgan, Edwards, and Gibson were their four leading scorers and four of their top five rebounders. Twelve on the roster instead of 14. Their three leading returning scorers from last year are their three leaders in scoring this year, which means you haven't brought in a lot of freshman talent that stepped up, and you've got two less players than last year. So I think this is going to be a high-point team that does struggle this year, and I think it's a very winnable game for you. Well, now here's, I think, an advantage to head coach Brittany Zell in this matchup because Chelsea uh, Bainberry is in her uh, first season as a head coach at High Point. She played at Florida Gulf Coast in the Atlantic Sun, uh, which Coach Ezell coached in quite a bit with Belmont and one near ETSU. And she was an assistant for like a decade at Florida Gulf Coast. So the one thing Coach Ezell is going to know what type of offense they're going to do, which is going to be a very screen, 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 open three. And now we use all the 30 seconds of shot clock. Then we get a clean look at three. The problem for high point so far is our, like, 12 of 77 from three. So if the threes go down and when they bring in shooters, that is going to be something uh, that has proven to work. And a lot of that offense uh, was taken from Gino Ariama and UConn and, and what they sort of do. And um, that's similar to what you will see for high point. So the one thing for coaches I think is – going to be a plus is she is going to know the set she's going to know everything and they do a great job now the one thing because they want to shoot so many threes now they haven't been knocking them down so you don't slip off that the dangerous part is is once they hit a few threes right then you tend to overdo it try to get out on the shooter and then that screener gets wide open layups and that's that's sort of how that system works so it's not quite like a Princeton offense where it's sort of a grind you out. and do whatever. It is really you have to be disciplined in who you're guarding in a man-to-man setting that Coach Ezell wants to do. Are they going to be able to the post give way so that the guards can get around the screen under over however they're going to play it? Can the post players stay true to do it? And so if you get turned around a little bit, then you give up wide open layups. So this is a, a nice little offense that once given time – I just don't think High Point's probably had enough time to do that and probably enough players that Coach Bainbury wants on her squad. So I think a huge advantage going this game to Coach Ezell. It's a big teardown rebuild for them. You know, don't have your coach from last year. Don't have your top four scorers and four of your top five rebounders. Two less people on the roster. And your three leading returning scorers are your three returners from last year. So not a lot of freshman talent in. And you bring up a good point about threes. Averaging 38 and a half threes per game is a ridiculously huge number and that is what high points averaging shooting just 25 percent thankfully for the bucks they have been phenomenal defending the perimeter one of the best in the country and granted it's two games so 
Are Tennessee and Liberty just not good shooting teams? Maybe. That could be the case. But they're 5 of 35 from outside against ETSU. That's 14% easily far and away best in the Southern Conference. One of just two teams that has allowed opponents to shoot less than 30% from outside. So if that's their strength and that's what they want to do, then I feel awful good about how ETSU's uh, prospects of winning this contest and moving above 500 for the first time this year. All right, so Friday we will be able to uh, give you the recaps from the basketball games. We'll get you set. ETSU football versus the Mercer Bears. So a lot going on. Volleyball tonight, right? Coaches show, volleyball tonight, then uh, two basketball games on Thursday, and, of course, the football game on Saturday. So a lot going on. We'll get you caught up to date on Friday. I'm excited for it. Volleyball tonight is big, too. I and mean, you heard the talk of Kale Massey. Western Carolina is third in the league, outperforming what they've done pretty much the entire uh, rest of the season, uh, what they've done in previous seasons as well. They're projected eighth in the league. Now, now they're up to third. Then you've got Stanford on Saturday for the Southern Conference Championship, regardless of what happens tonight and Saturday when Stanford plays uh, Western Carolina Friday. So Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, big uh, nights in volleyball. Be at Brooks Gym tonight. Just fun. All right, 6 o'clock, Brooks Jam. Don't forget, Friday, Sandos and the sidekick of the Marketer. Sports Network. See ya.